friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, and uh, tonight I have a rather special show for you. Uh, Tonight, it's just you and me. Uh, we don't have a special guest tonight, and that's uh, that was intended. Uh, tonight, um, I wanted to uh, lift the spirits of those of you who uh, might have been disheartened uh, because you weren't in Southern California uh, to hear this particular uh, talk that I gave live recently to a spiritual group. Uh, it was a talk called uh, How the Power of Goddess Ideals Can Save the World. Uh, and and, you know, with a subtitle, to have or to be, which do we choose? And uh, so I decided to uh, go ahead and uh, and put this talk here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. Uh, you know, many of you actually email me and say, you know, we love your guests, but we'd like to hear from you uh, now and again. You know, we know you... Um, have thoughts and beliefs and teach, uh, and we don't get an opportunity to hear, um, you know, uh, your viewpoint on a lot of different things, or we don't get a chance to attend your classes or workshops. So why don't you use Voices of the Sacred Feminine airtime uh, on occasion to do that with your listeners. So that's exactly what um, I'm going to do tonight. So, um, You know, I just want to say before we start the talk, you know, you're not alone uh, if you believe domination and uh, authoritarian patriarchy or destroying countless lives in our planet. Uh, There's more, there is a more sustainable alternative and it's not new. In fact, it's ancient. Uh, Exiled for a time, but making a return, the sacred feminine as a deity, archetype, and ideal has become indelibly integrated into our lives, reminding humanity during this time of crisis that the ideals of the great she offering a pathway to a secure and more sustainable future Um, you know as people um Loose faith in organized religion as the uh, paradigm of power shifts across the globe. Uh, as climate change quickly approaches uh, a tipping point, uh, people are leading, I believe, using their divine intelligence uh, from goddess teachings to find solutions and sanctuary. Uh, they're using the wisdom and activism suggested in sacred feminine liberation theology. Um, And uh, here I want to discuss the many ways goddess spirituality has grown and matured in the minds of her advocates uh, to inspire the birth of a new world and usher in uh, a time of security and partnership, peace, equality, and prosperity for all of us. So um, I want to say your comments are appreciated. I would love to know if you've had a chance to listen to this uh, talk that I'm about to share with you, which, as I said, I've you know, given uh, to some spiritual groups uh, publicly. Um, so email me. Let me know what you think. So uh, if you're new to the show or you haven't been listening long or, um, you know, maybe you haven't read my books uh As I uh, said when I opened, I'm Karen Tate. I'm an ordained minister, a goddess advocate. I've been married over 30 years to a wonderful man who's been the wind beneath my wings in everything I've done as a priestess, author, speaker, and radio show host over the last three decades. Uh, His name is Roy. And... um, 
you know, we uh, have have traveled together across five continents chasing down sacred sites uh, some time ago, and I'll tell you if anything, we'll let you know if you're compatible. It's taking a 24-day uh, pilgrimage uh, to Greece. <laughs> um, so when I go out and I give these talks, uh, I also refer to myself as a recovering Catholic from the Bible Belt. And trust me, you didn't hear about goddess in Louisiana. Uh, Mary was the closest thing we had to the divine feminine, but Mary was no god, and even with her many attributes, she was not the best role model or archetype for women. She had no sexuality. She was loving and accessible, but passive. Uh, She was the feminine role model patriarchy allowed us to have after it stripped goddess of her true prominence, wholeness, and sacredness as a female. Uh, Mary, like many of the goddesses under patriarchy, became mere shadows of their former selves, and that sweeping away has led to many of the ills women suffer in society here and across the globe, such as domestic violence, female genital mutilation, not making equal pay. Um, That's why, uh, in part, millions of women retire in poverty, uh, why men in Congress uh, believe they still have a right to determine women's rights to their own bodies. Uh, Former President Jimmy Carter left his church, citing the sin of the church doctrine, preventing women from reaching their fullest potential. But it's important to stress men are also damaged by patriarchy. Let me repeat that. It's important to stress men are also damaged by patriarchy. They also have to conform and fit into a particular box. And there's a pecking order for males in patriarchy where men often aren't allowed to become their authentic selves either. An authoritarian father ruling over a patriarchal and authoritarian society tells us exactly what the rules are and we better comply. Well, with this talk, I'd like to discuss how we get beyond that and discuss with you not the basics of Goddess 101, but take it a step further to Goddess 2.0, if you will, showing you how if these ideas of the divine feminine are reincorporated into our spiritual toolkits that we can change the world. So first, let's approach this from deity archetype and ideal. So let's uh, briefly talk about the feminine as deity and archetype. Then we'll get into our ideals that can help us create that new normal. Well, coming from that bubble of the Bible Belt, I can understand living where it might be hard at first to even conceive of the sacred feminine or the people who embraced her for thousands of years. Some folks never learned the Greek goddesses Demeter and Persephone were revered for over 2,000 years. Imagine that, 2,000 years. Significant when you consider the age of our country. Pagan cultures brought us democracy, helped civilize the world, brought us engineering, architecture, medicine, and science. Then a new era rejected that knowledge, not unlike many rejecting science for ideology or self-serving beliefs today. It's amazing to me as I go out and speak how few people in the West really realize all the people around the world who still have a goddess in their spiritual paradigm. India's never forgotten their goddess, though they've been reduced to shadows of their former glory. Uh, Goddesses have been spousified, if you will, with maybe the exception of uh, Kali and Durga. Uh, Some say they've been domesticated. They're just some god's wife now. Uh, Our friends in Mexico have Guadalupe. The Shinto in Japan have Amaterasu. Polynesians have Pele and her sisters. Uh, Bridget is a goddess and a saint in Ireland. Uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene have taken on goddess status in recent years. Uh, More on that in a bit. 
We have Kuan Yin in Asia. Our indigenous neighbors have never forgotten white buffalo woman and spider grandmother who created the universe. Asians have the rice goddess who provides all they need to sustain themselves. We know many societies that revered goddess were egalitarian in nature, where women could own their own businesses, run countries, divorce their husbands, and choose their role in life. Still, in the West, the majority of people only know the big three, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, patriarchal religions all, that have led to male leadership in all phases of life, leaving women second-class citizens, where too many women's roles are little more than breeders. You can discover all of this, if it's new to you, in my books and long-running radio show right here, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I'll have uh, contact information uh, at the end of this talk. Um, So let's get on uh, with talking about what values we've lost along with the feminine face of God that have allowed uh, the feminine to be relegated to the shadows, uh, waiting for us to embrace her once again. First, uh, let me emphasize, in my opinion, feminine values represent a state of mind and have less to do with gender. These values include diversity, solidarity, shared leadership, wholeness, sacred sexuality. It's also the practice of nurturing, caring, sharing, transparency, collaboration, partnership, spiritual courage, equality, peace, balance, and justice. It's about the we and the us, not the I and the me, that came along with ideas of ownership and when everything became a commodity. Goddess is about the common. It's about the 99%, not the 1%. We're talking a view of our interconnection with everything and everyone on Mother Earth. It's about life-giving and the sacredness of life. It's striving for an egalitarian society, or in the new term coined by the scholar Miriam Robbins Dexter, an equalitarian society. We've let these values go out of fashion. Remember when greed was one of the seven deadly sins? Though manufactured, but through manufactured consent, we've lost that belief as well. So how do we create this new world? How do we create this new world where all that I've described is restored? Well, you know, politics is one avenue to change the world, but we have an awful lot of cheating and domination going on to preserve the status quo. We have gerrymandering, thwarting the will of the people, and politicians trying to uh, to prevent certain people in society from voting. There's the problem of Citizens United and the archaic Electoral College. We also have less than 20% of women in politics, and while it would be great to have more women in Congress, many of them actually keep the status quo of domination and exploitation propped up. Let's not forget, women propped up the KKK, slavery, uh, they perpetuate female genital mutilation, uh, they prop up uh, the three patriarchal religions. Um, so women can be complicit in keeping the status quo and keeping patriarchy in power. You know, this is a messy and polarizing business. Uh, Is it any wonder uh, many don't want to get their hands dirty in politics or publicly come out on one side or the other? They might lose clients or friends. So, you know, how can we change that? Well, I think maybe we redefine politics. Mahatma Gandhi said politics should be sacred. Marianne Williamson connected politics to spiritual courage, saying it's about, quote, 
our deep humanity and calls us to a critical reevaluation of our relationship with all of life around us in the world, unquote. Rian Eisler and Jean Shinoda Bolin, leaders in the global goddess community, both started out teaching about divine feminine history, and they shifted to politics. Eisler shifted over to caring economics and partnership studies, and Bolin with her work on female archetypes and women's issues at the UN. In fact, because of my involvement at Rianne Eisler's Center for Partnership Studies, I now look at everything in terms of is it domination and exploitation or is it respect and partnership? Let me repeat that. I look at everything in terms of is it domination and exploitation or is it respect and partnership? I believe that's the litmus test for most everything. If you forget everything else I suggest tonight, remember that. Always ask yourself if what you're seeing is respect and healthy partnership or is it domination and exploitation. You know, I've posted some YouTube videos giving these partnership talks uh, that you can pull up on your computer or your phone if you like. Uh, If you have any trouble finding those, let me know and I'll point you to them. But you can just go to YouTube and put in Karen Tape, Uh, and uh, partnership, uh, and I'm sure they'll probably pop up. So uh, getting back to the talk, uh, think of the woes out there right now and ask yourself, do these problems exist because of domination and exploitation, or do they represent respect and partnership? Problems like income disparity, immigration struggles, election fraud, corporate-owned media, loss of investigative journalists, corporate monopolies, Wall Street's economic collapse, lies about climate change, lies about war, uh, people working for starvation wages, college debt, lack of access to affordable health care, Black Lives Matter, politicians serving corporations rather than the people, trickle-down economics and austerity budgets, the crumbs of incrementalism, Well, maybe you agree with me that domination and exploitation is rampant and things have deteriorated to this point in large part due to what Noam Chomsky calls manufactured consent. And this is not a world of goddess ideals. I think it's obvious why people have to take a stand on social issues. I agree with Desmond Tutu who said, if you're neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. But we at least have to be self-aware enough to reconcile our spirituality and our politics. You'd be surprised how many people profess to care about the environment or women's rights, then turn around and vote for people or support people who care little for either, or vote for people that support the status quo whose policies no longer work for the 99%. We have to remember to connect the dots between our spirituality and morality. And that translates into economic budgets, laws, and what we give license to in society. And, you know, we need to start thinking about how we think and what we teach. So let's move away from the disconnect between goddess ideals and today's politics and policy and consider how we think and what we teach. First, let's talk about mythology and sacred stories. Some of you may know I gave a talk at the Council for the Parliament of World Religions about reawakening our earliest sacred stories. You may be familiar with the concept that one person's religion is another person's mythology and vice versa. I think it might have been Joseph Campbell who coined that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, 
that phrase, that comparison. Uh, That's important because our mythology shapes our culture. If our myths are all about a male god, then we have male domination and leadership in society. If our myths say women are evil, like Eve's sin in Pandora's box, then we have institutionalized justification for women being marginalized and subjugated. If our myths are about gods raping women, that gives license to men to do that in society too, I think. We have to have the courage to reinterpret and rewrite our myths and the stories we tell ourselves and our children. And if you think mythology and sacred stories aren't important, well, just think about the devastating effect of the Garden of Eden myth in shaping society and women's roles for thousands of years. And on a positive note, think how the new stories of Mary Magdalene over the past decade never mention her as a repentant prostitute anymore. You know, most of the people I know consider her uh, the sacred feminine to Jesus as the sacred masculine. Together, they're the divine couple, uh, the dynamic duo. You know, you can find uh, more about that in my books, too. Uh, So if you're a writer or storyteller, don't wait for someone to give you permission to rewrite or reinterpret the stories or write new stories. Myths have been written and rewritten to fit agendas since the beginning of time. Case in point, the pre-patriarchal myth of Persephone and Demeter did not even include the god Hades. And if you think about uh, the impact of myths, um, you know, think about the Garden of Eden story. Um, I believe it was um, uh, Charlene Spretnak uh, who, who um, oh, oh, no, I'm sorry, Merlin Stone. Uh, Merlin Stone said that she considered the Garden of Eden myth one of the first pieces of political propaganda steering people away from the feminine toward the masculine. So um, another area I'd like to talk about, uh, shift gears a little bit here, is um, uh, this individual whose work I recently discovered. uh, His name is Eric Fromm, uh, E-R-I-C-H-F-R-O-M-M. I I highly recommend his work. He's a German psychologist who passed away in 1980, very much in alignment with goddess ideals, by the way, who offered a manifesto for a new social and psychological revolution. I want to toss out some ideas of um, this German psychologist uh, and uh, see if you agree, because I think he really gives us a lot to chew on, even um, some ideas for a path forward. You know, a lot of what I've been doing here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine is Um, you know, gathering shreds of people's ideas, you know, because I think together uh, these ideas become the threads of of the new tapestry of our new path, of our new normal. And uh, I wish there were, had been the opportunity to interview Eric, uh, although he, uh, you know, that would be impossible. He passed away in the 80s, but he believed that there are two modes of existence struggling for the spirit of mankind. It's the having mode and the being mode. That's the having mode and the being mode. Now, the having mode is dedicated to consumerism, material possessions and property, aggressiveness and personal gain, with the accompanying evils of war and predator capitalism. Uh, Fromm discusses how we are fed advertising and propaganda from the time we're a young child, and he asks the question, if we even know who we are, 
what we really like, what we really want, or what really matters uh, to us and makes us happy? Or are we just responding to outside stimuli like organized religion, marketing campaigns and advertising, family and social influences and pressure? He says we've been selling ourselves as a commodity to satisfy employers all our lives, and many of us might not even know our purpose in life or what really makes us happy. He says we actually avoid freedom by fusing ourselves with others by, uh, A, becoming part of an authoritarian system uh, with our job being to apply structures to others. I'm sure you know lots of people like that. Or B, we submit to the power of others, becoming passive and compliant, uh, where we don't make waves. Uh, And either way, whether we become part of the system or we submit to the system, we escape our separate identity and might never know our authentic self. And he calls that avoiding freedom, which uh, I think is, is very astute and insightful. But he also offers the exciting option of the being mode, B-E-I-N-G, which is more in alignment with goddess ideals or the feminine. The being mode is suffused with love, the spirit of caring, and a proper regard for humanity, which means contentment, a pleasant sufficiency of the means to life, and a profound kinship with nature. Note the idea of pleasant sufficiency not excess, not greed, not exploiting others for your own wealth or power, not measuring our value by our assets. I mean, do we really have to go out there and buy each new phone that hits the market? Do we really have to be standing in line in the middle of the night to catch these um, sales, the Cyber Monday sales and the Black Friday sales? I mean, seriously, don't we have enough stuff? And if we don't have enough stuff... Can't we, you know, uh, go to thrift stores? Can't we barter for things? Um, You know, think about all the things you might have around your house that was an impulse purchase that maybe you don't even use or don't even need. Well, um, getting back to Fromm, here are some of Fromm's ideas about how to get into a being mode. He said we have to have sane consumption instead of consumerism. I think I was just talking about that. So sane consumption instead of consumerism. He says um, we need a militant consumer movement with regular consumer strikes to rein in corporate abuse and excess. Well, how many of you have that free app on your phone so you're sure not to purchase uh, products in the grocery store made by the Koch brothers or Monsanto? Mm-hmm. There's a way uh, to become a militant consumer. Um, he also talks about humanistic management in the workplace, replacing bureaucratic management. He talks about brainwashing methods in industrial and political advertising would be prohibitive. So how about truth and advertising restored? Um, How about we go back to a time like when we had the Fairness Doctrine and the media couldn't lie to us and offer us opinion and call it facts? He also talked about a guaranteed yearly income. People would have the right not to starve or be without shelter. That's what he meant when he said uh, a pleasant uh, sufficiency. So 
think about that. With so few good jobs, uh, good-paying jobs, with automation and robotics on the rise, jobs for humans are only going to uh, you know, decline even more. Finland is already experimenting with guaranteed yearly income with good results. They're reporting how much uh, stress is removed from society and life. So imagine if you're a struggling artist or student, how your performance or progress might be enhanced if you had the security of a stipend and shelter so you could focus on your craft, something that only the privileged in society enjoy now. He, uh, Fromm also talked about uh, one way to get into being mode is that women must be liberated from patriarchal domination. He calls that a fundamental factor in the humanization of society. He also called for a system of dissemination of effective information rather than corporate-owned media's disinformation. So imagine if people really knew the issues before they voted or before we go to war. Imagine if we had news outlets not driven by profit but service to the community. You know, as they were originally intended, intended they were considered the fourth estate to protect democracy. How many even still know that? And I think if you were paying close attention in the last presidential campaign, you know uh, that the media outlets out there definitely took sides. Well, you know, Franz says we have to change ourselves too. Instead of being hamsters on a wheel or rats in a maze, he thinks we have to shift into uh, the being mode by being awake and aware of the world, by being mindful and concentrating, by meditating and becoming self-aware, by being participants in society, by being good participating citizens. And you know what? There's one other thing he wrote about. It's called The Art of Loving. I know we've all heard love is the answer, but some people are just impossible to love. Yes, you think? And it might sound Pollyanna and impossible to say, you know, let's, that love is the answer, let's love everybody. There's an awful lot of people that are really hard to love. But let's redefine love. Fromm considers deep listening to other points of view a form of love. The social justice of Martin Luther King was also a form of love called agape, from what I understand. According to Fromm, awareness, will, practice, tolerance, um, uh, not being fearful of new experience, these are all necessary if we are going to transform ourselves and the world. And if we can do that, we can shift from the idea of I am what I have to I am what I do or I am what I am. And, you know, we do have the ability to do this and to heal ourselves in society. So moving, um, moving along from Fromm, um, oh, one, one other thing about Fromm before I go. I wanted to make sure you knew this because uh, I thought this was very insightful. Fromm cited uh, anthropologist Johann Bakovin, uh, who believed that matriarchal and matrifocal societies who valued the feminine ideals were more in alignment with socialism and democratic socialism, while the domination and exploitation of patriarchy is in alignment with capitalism. How about that? And Christianity, uh, once considered liberation theology, isn't so much anymore. 
When uh, one considers uh, the connection between Calvinism and the prosperity gospels, then I think we really can see so much of um, evangelical Christianity, uh, so much of fundamentalist Christianity. Well, it's really more in alignment with predator capitalism, too. And, you know, that's a great segue to help us understand Christianity's ties to capitalism and how it prevents us from creating a better world. It all started with the pilgrims and Calvinism, and today, as I mentioned, we see it in the prosperity gospels. Now, you know, we're not talking about the Christianity of Jesus that actually goes hand in hand uh, or hand in glove with goddess ideals. According to Kevin Cruz in his book titled One Nation Under God, How Corporate America Invented Christian America, industrialists of the 1930s and 40s poured money and resources into an effort to silence the social witness of the church, which was home to progressives fighting for worker rights, the social safety net, and proponents of the New Deal. Corporatists promoted and funded the new brand of Christianity dominant today that conflates faith with free enterprise and American exceptionalism. The rich are rich, the creed goes, not because they are greedy or privileged, not because they use their power to their own advantage, not because they oppress the poor and the vulnerable, but because they're blessed. And if we just have enough faith, this heretical form of Christianity claims, God will bless the rest of us too with wealth. It's an inversion of the central message of the gospel, and it certainly doesn't sound like Jesus at all to me. Well, this is very revealing, and it might help explain why whenever we talk about Scandinavian countries and how those citizens over there have a better quality of life than we do here in the United States, our corporatist friends, particularly on the right, the Christian right, act like Finland and Sweden and Norway are the boogeymen, while they expound on the free market, trickle-down economics and capitalism as our only options. And don't even get me started on the new tax reform that the Republicans are trying to shove down our throat right now. Uh, according to the professor of economics, Richard Wolff, who I've interviewed right here on my show, and you can find that interview in the archives, um, professors can't even teach the values of any economic system but capitalism if they want to get tenure. He also mentioned colleges needing money from people like the Koch brothers are allowing these folks to have influence on what is taught and who is hired. Professor Wolf also mentioned a solution for the domination and exploitation of corporations would be more employee-owned businesses, or at least more German models where employees are on the board of directors and employee concerns are actually factored into decision-making instead uh, of uh, employees being oppressed. And, you know, I want to go back to that idea about uh, people like the Koch brothers or um, helping fund colleges. And for that money, they are uh, having great influence on what is taught and who is hired. You know that they are going to teach a brand of economics that benefits the corporations. You know, they're going to keep the people ignorant about other options so that they don't know uh, you know, that there might be another way. You know, employees, uh, employers used to make 50 times more than workers and did pretty darn good. Well, today they can make as much as three or 400 times more than workers. Where do you think that difference in their salary, salary comes from? It comes from the benefits that workers no longer have, the benefits that workers have had stolen from them. 
you know, we have to uh, turn this lopsided arrangement back to one of partnership. As Martin Luther King said, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. You see, there was a time when Christianity was a sanctuary for women, the poor, and the oppressed, and slaves. It was considered liberation theology, liberation theology. In other words, um, you know, theology of freedom. Well, I propose goddess ideals are the new liberation theology. The divine feminine is the new social witness to many of society's ills. And here are some examples I wanted to share with you. I think these are some ideas we should mainstream under the goddess umbrella. The first one uh, is the goddess value of transparency. Let's take this subject of history, for instance. We only get the version of history written by the conquerors. Some conservatives want to take Thomas Jefferson and, and contributions of minorities out of the history books. You know, we learn little about the deeds that would leave us with a dim view of the United States. Likewise, the truth isn't taught about the Civil War. Uh, some people think the Civil War uh, wasn't about slavery, if you can imagine. And you know, why isn't Howard Zinn's History of the United States required reading? Because that isn't history written by the conquerors. It's history written by the everyman. Shouldn't we learn the fallacy of our sanitized version of the pilgrims and Thanksgiving and the resulting genocide of our country's manifest destiny? Look that up, manifest destiny, and the results. Should presidents be able to build libraries and distort the history of their presidency? Will we ever know who killed JFK? Is it widely known Native American women were forcefully sterilized or African-American men were experimented on? What about the false flags that start wars? How many people still don't know Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11? Perhaps if we taught the truth of history, Americans might not be so quick to assume our exceptionalism that gives license to so many shameful deeds carried out in the name of the American people. Perhaps if we see the errors of the past, if we're taught the errors of the past, we might learn discernment and might does not make right. So let's talk about the goddess value of generosity. According to Carol Chris, the the spirit of great generosity is a living remnant of the ancient Cretan egalitarian matriarchal traditions of gift giving. Let's extrapolate. Why aren't we talking more about the resource-based economy, sometimes known as gift giving? What about perpetuating the idea of paying it forward as an everyday thing? Let's delve into the moneyless manifesto. You know what? I hear it worked for those two captains. Um, what were their names? Uh, Captain Kirk and Captain Picard. What about the goddess value of gratitude? Let's begin teaching the importance of gratitude to our children from a very early age, just like we teach our kids to say please and thank you. Considering the important benefits, it should be one of the things we learn as soon as we can grasp the idea. And we should practice it. What about the goddess value of oneness and right brain activity? Let's make it a priority to awaken our spirituality using what was once considered esoteric. I'm talking about yoga, meditation, and sacred sound for healing and connecting. These practices should be standard items in our spiritual toolkit in the West to heal our body, mind, and spirit. 
There are spiritual nourishment as important as the food that we eat to provide nutrients to our body. It should be our routine, like brushing our teeth, not just something we go to when we feel stressed or when we, you know, when we uh, have time. We should make time. Considering how important these practices are, it is with sadness I report from people I've interviewed on my radio show. Many Christian churches tell their congregations things like yoga open their minds to evil and Satan. What about the goddess value of equality and diversity? They say one reason we can't solve the problems of sexism and racism is the sides won't come together. Just an idea here, but what if we stopped talking so much about racism and sexism and started talking about classism? Would that bring the 99% into partnership to fight income equality for everyone, thereby fixing some of the adverse effects of sexism and racism? I'm not saying it would solve everything, but if more people came together shoulder to shoulder because there are so many um, uh, commonalities among these groups and you know the, per- the people that they have to go up against are the same people, if we came together in partnership and collaboration uh, about this class war, uh, about this vast income disparity, um, you know, might that not help move us forward. Just some food for thought. What about the goddess value of, uh, of nature as our teacher? Why don't we talk more about how nature and evolution prefers altruism and species that collaborate to have a better chance of survival? Isn't that Mother Nature teaching us an important lesson we should learn early? Like in game theory, we need to focus on win-win situations, not domination and exploitation. What about the goddess value of of the interconnection of all things? Well, let's think about mind over matter, for instance. How we now know the non-physical reality determines the physical reality. Our thoughts affect outcomes. The physicists Bruce Rosenblum and Fred Kuttner in Quantum Enigma, that's their book, wrote, quote, presenting this material to non-scientists is the intellectual equivalent of allowing children to play with loaded guns, unquote. Well, why would they say that? Who does that serve? Isn't this an important tool in the hands of the average person to learn to navigate life, that their physical reality, uh, that their non-physical reality determines their physical reality? That should really be something we should know early on unless they don't want us to have control, unless they want us to live in fear and be easily manipulated and dominated and exploited. All right, so what about the goddess value of personal empowerment? Research shows that physically complaining rewires our brain to be depressed and anxious. Fear and worry can lead to depression and anxiety. So why aren't we taught to be proactive and claim control of our thoughts by making a concerted effort to focus on being positive? Who does it benefit when we're not in control of our thoughts or when we make decisions based on fear? Why don't we routinely boycott news outlets that fill us with fear and, you know, turn them off? What about the goddess value of partnership? We should all know about the five forms of partnership, which calls for compassionate self-care, uh, partnership with our intimate others, partnership with coworkers and our community, partnership with the world, partnership with nature and the cosmos. This one value alone, partnership, if it replaced domination and exploitation, could change everything. 
I encourage you to go to my YouTube channel again to learn more. Or go to Rianne Eisler's Center for Partnership Studies website online. She offers great classes that you can learn a lot. Uh, You won't be disappointed. And then you become a Pied Piper and teach about partnership to all the people in your in your bubble, in your realm, in your universe. What about the goddess value of social justice? Well, I read an article recently that asked, do your social media peeps consider your political protesting depressing or pessimistic, or your activism for social justice uh, angry or divisive? And if so, should we posit the question, does right speech or always opting to be politically correct just simply support the status quo? Does disregarding or discouraging the dialogue about evidence of classism, racism, and sexism have a central role in maintaining the established order of things? Is disregard a form of passive domination or exploitation? Hmm, interesting. You know, sometimes our friends might get uncomfortable when we talk about these subjects, but if they... Uh, shut us down, if they uh, stifle our voice, or are they not just playing into uh, the status quo and keeping things as they are? Food for thought. All right, what about the goddess value of caring economics that Rianne Eisler teaches? Well, we need to be asking ourselves if we should support economic growth where we continue to use the archaic and inaccurate GDP to measure wealth and success, and we continue to stress our resources and human capital, or should we be advocates of economic development instead, where we increase living standards, improve self-esteem, invest in our human capital, and have freedom from oppression and exploitation? When was the last time anyone asked you about your quality of life? And if the answer was never or you can't even remember, what does that say about the change we need? Let's talk a minute about the goddess value of the sacredness of all life. Now, this could be a lot of different things, the sacredness of all life. But for, um, for right now, I want to bring to the fore the idea of linguistic imperialism. I'll say that again, linguistic imperialism. According to Robin Wall Kimmerer, professor of biology, uh, who wrote a great article in Orion magazine about uh, linguistic imperialism, that's where I learned about this, briefly she says we have a grammar for personhood. We acknowledge and value to some extent he or she, but don't value things we refer to as it. Well, that it can be a 500-year-old tree. It can be a lion in Africa or an elephant. It can be the ocean. It can be the environment. Uh, You know, it can be that um, uh, flock of birds or butterflies. Um, A human has distinction as he or she, while other life is lumped into the non-living it category. Add to that, verbs and nouns come in two forms, the animate and the inanimate. And you realize uh, pretty soon that our language diminishes the vital beingness. There we are again about being. Um, it, it diminishes Our language diminishes the vital beingness of the rest of the world. Professor Kimmerer spoke of her ancestors' indigenous language being forbidden by the white colonists and an affront to their ears. 
because it's a language that challenges the fundamental tenets of Western thinking, that humans alone are possessed of rights and all the rest of the living world exists for human use. This thinking enabled the land to be suppressed and converted from communal responsibility of all Native peoples to the private property of settlers. There we go again with commodities, right? The land was not a revered and living being anymore. Linguistic imperialism is a tool of colonization. Robin advocates for grammar as a tool of the revolution. She asks if we can unlearn the language of objectification and throw off colonized thought. Can we make a new world with new words? Interesting stuff. So some final questions I'd like to leave you to chew on are these. What is our real wealth? Think about that. How do we measure it? What is real value? Well, maybe you're on the right track if it's not the assets in your portfolio or the money in your wallet or the shoes in your closet or buying a new phone every time it comes out. You know, we can't keep doing the same things and expect different results. We have to dismantle old paradigms and narratives. And I propose we use ideals of sacred feminine liberation theology as our new social witness. And tonight, I've just suggested the tip of the iceberg for ideas to move us forward. Just remember, after we marinate on these ideas, then we have to move out of the right brain thinking mode and visioning mode move out of the right brain thinking and visioning mode and actually begin working with our left brain to start the actual journey of transformation to manifest our new world. I'd like to close uh, with saying ideals of the great mother, feminine ideals, or an antidote to domination and exploitation. These ideals are a state of mind and no one gender corners the market. We value shared leadership, not a pyramid structure with a few at the top pulling the strings and having all the power while we compete for crumbs at the base. You won't find any one guru leading the way in goddess spirituality. Instead, we recognize we all have a piece of the puzzle or a thread to weave into the beautiful tapestry of a better life. We have it in our power to heal ourselves and the world, to transform ourselves and the world. As we will it, so shall it be. Well, that was the talk that I recently gave. Uh, It was rather well received, and I hope you uh, enjoy it too. Now, I am going to take a little break before I come back, uh, and I'll let you hear a word from Joe Carson. tell you about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. 
This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film. Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page color booklet, which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20, and you can get it from dancingwithgaia.com. Well, I'm back, and... um I just wanted to suggest if you believe you're ready to go go past uh, Goddess 101, um, you know, if you feel you've had uh, enough study and um, how to do ritual, uh, maybe Goddess history, Wheel of the Year stuff, uh, energetics, um, you know, all, all of that beginner stuff you learn when you first discover uh, Goddess, and you're ready to raise the bar and uh, delve deeper and uh, get more into connecting your spirituality and politics, get more into understanding how goddess values can uh, help us create uh, a better world. If you want to get to Goddess 2.0 and start going in that direction, uh, let me please uh, recommend uh, the two anthologies that uh, uh, I compiled. Uh, the first was Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World. And um, that one uh, is my first anthology that um, I put together. And it uh, is a, a group of transcripts or essays or follow-ups to interviews I've done with um, some very insightful uh, movers and shakers and uh, innovators uh, here on the radio show Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, these voices help us start to make that transition and tell us how we can make the shift from Goddess 101 to Goddess 2.0. Uh, there's also my book, Goddess Calling, um, Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology, uh, and um, you know meditations and uh, messages. Uh, that uh, that will help you as well. Uh, I used to uh, uh, put together uh, a, a, a Sunday service, if you will, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, called Sacred Sundays. And uh, at these Sundays, I had to give uh, a message uh, to those there gathered. And this book is a compilation of a lot of those messages that get into this. Um, this more advanced Goddess 2.0 uh, direction. Uh, there's also great meditations in the book, too, uh, to try to um, uh, balance out the left and the right brain. 
And finally, uh, the other uh, anthology that uh, came out at the end of last year, Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward. Well, that really says it all, doesn't it? Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward, because I do believe these sacred feminine ideals, many of which I shared with you tonight uh, in the talk that I gave earlier, uh, that's exactly what this is all about, uh, advancing a new path forward, a new normal. In fact, uh, I call these uh, two anthologies my Manifesting a New Normal Anthology Series, Volumes 1 and 2. And I hope next year, uh, maybe in the spring, we'll have Volume 3. Um, so Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward and Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World. Um, these help us know um, what to replace patriarchy with. You know, uh, I used to work with a group that at the end of every ritual or a gathering, we would say, down with patriarchy, may patriarchy fall. But, you know, we never talked about what was going to replace that? I mean, what would it really look like? You know, we talked about birthing goddess at the center of the world, but we really didn't get into very many specifics. You know, it was very nebulous, very vague. So I think um, it's important that we have to be able to vision the direction we're going in before we can manifest it. And I think the wise voices in these books uh, help us show the way. So I hope you might consider... Uh, some of the books uh, on my website, KarenTate.com, this holiday season when you are, um, you know, uh, giving your loved ones uh, some special gifts or giving yourself uh, some special gifts that might um, help enhance our lives. Um, Well, I think uh, that about does it uh, for tonight. Um, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and uh, uh, we have uh, Yule right around the corner, uh, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, uh, Saturnalia, uh, you know, all of, uh, you know, holidays, um, just, uh, uh, you know, in the, before we know it, in our next breath, they will be right here uh, in front of us. And uh, I hope you will be kind to yourself. Uh, I hope you will give yourself permission to start new traditions um, and, you know, do things that will, um, that will help you be your authentic self. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Take care of yourself. Be compassionate with yourself. Be kind to yourself and to others. And, uh, you know, remember what the holidays are all about. And it certainly, in my humble opinion, is not about consumerism. So thank you, dear listeners. Uh, Thank you for your listener loyalty. Uh, I appreciate your... um, you know, being with me every week. I hope you will share links of the show with your friends. I hope you will uh, click on the follow button so you get notice of, uh, uh, you know, these shows uh, that happen every Wednesday night. Uh, I want to say thank you uh, to Alea Deo uh, for the use of her music at the opening of the show, uh, which was uh, her a snippet from her single called Awaken, uh, because I hope what I talked about tonight will help Um, you know, sort of clear the way, um, you know, uh, help the energy flow uh, to help shift us 
into that new normal, you know, uh, that these new ideas can take hold and um, uh, help guide us, you know, down a better path. And I guess I uh, will close the show tonight uh, with a message from Laura Perry. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labrys and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book, and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. Now, um, actually, one more thing before I go. I wanted to tell you about one other book. Uh, that uh, I think is important for you to know about. It's a wonderful coffee table book. Uh, It's uh, another one by Joe Carson, and it's called Celebrate Wildness. And I'd like to read you a review about uh, this book that uh, Dana Corby wrote in her blog, The Rant and Raven. Uh, Now, this is the review of Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, by Dana Corby in her blog, The Rant and Raven. She says, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon familiar themes to Wiccans, such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play were the core values where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were, back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though it's a short book at only 115 art-laden pages, don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time and let it sink into your subconscious. What bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Those are Dana Corby's words uh, as she talks about uh, Joe Carson's new book, Celebrate Wildness, uh, which is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from org, And that's spelled F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. Uh, Well, thank you, dear listeners. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful holiday. 
Uh, I will be with you again soon. I don't think I'm with you next Wednesday uh, for certain. I believe I'm taking off for our uh, 34th anniversary, and I won't be with you, uh, I think, the first Wednesday of December, uh, but I will be with you later on in the month. Uh, I hope if you're traveling and you find yourself stuck in airports or um, you know, sitting for long periods of time for nothing to do, that uh, maybe you'll consider binge listening uh, to past shows of uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And please do uh, share word of the show and links of the show uh, with um, with your friends and family. Uh, I would be gratefully uh, I would gratefully appreciate that. Uh, and finally, um, uh, as I like to say, uh, what we nurture and focus on, it survives and thrives, and what we neglect, it withers. Uh, if this show has been meaningful to you, if it's been your teacher, if it's helped you feel connected like so many of you have said, I hope you will consider going to my website uh, and purchasing a book or making a donation. Uh, it would really mean a lot. Um, well, that about does it uh, for me tonight. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, just a little snippet here of from Zingaya called No Man's Land. Uh, as I say, good night. <laughs>